A listener told me a funny story the other day. He had bought one of those fancy new exercise bikes, and for him, it was without a doubt a very special tool to help him get healthier. But the problem was three days went by, and then four, and he'd yet to use the bike. And then on night five, he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he looks down at himself, and he couldn't help but just laugh because there he was wearing the exercise T-shirt that came with the bike, and he was eating two corn dogs. Hi, it's Doug Hastings with Moody Radio, and I think we'd all agree having a special tool only matters if we use it to our benefit. And I'd love for you guys to learn about my friends at United Faith Mortgage, a very unique faith-focused mortgage team with an advantageous tool just for you. You see, United Faith Mortgage is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means they get to use their own money and make their own decisions. There's no middleman, and often this advantage allows them to get you a better rate on your refinance or your new home purchase, which can save you monthly and lifelong money. So I'd encourage you, check them out, United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp., 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Hey, and welcome to Ed Stetzer Live. And we're not quite live today, but don't you turn that dial or whatever you listen to on um, because we have the music of Michael W. Smith. But not just the music of Michael W. Smith. We actually have a conversation with Michael W. Smith. This is pre-recorded, so we're not taking your calls today. Not that your calls aren't awesome. They are. Uh, but because since it's Father's Day weekend, we wanted you to have the opportunity to hear Michael W. Smith talk about, well, his new book. And I'll address that in just a moment. But also to to let our amazing staff, we have a great team, Courtney Young, Karen Hendren, Claire Seagard, and others, and give them the opportunity to, well, have a little time off in and around Father's Day weekend. I'm actually, at this very moment you're listening, I'm in New York City with my daughter at a record store. So that's, you know, we're doing Father's Day things as well. So, but enough about me. Um, but again, my name is Ed Stetzer, and I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and I'm your host. But our guest today is the, well, the world-known, renowned Michael W. Smith. He's actually been performing to sold-out crowds around the world for more than 35 years. And by the way, the fact that he is a grandfather uh, makes me feel old, but that's another story. He's written and recorded over 36 number one songs, been honored with three Grammy Awards, 45 Dove Awards, one American Music Award, is inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame and sold more than 15 million albums. Actually, having lived in the Nashville area, I know of his local impact. He's um, done things like Rocket Town, a safe haven for young people in Tennessee to meet and find hope, uh, uh, raise funds to battle AIDS in Africa, help more than 70,000 children through Compassion International. If you go on his website right now, Michael O. Smith's website, you'll see all kinds of things they're doing even now for Compassion International. I love them, and I love them as a partner. Uh, he's written several best-selling books, and the most recent one, the one we're talking about today for this Father's Day weekend, though I recognize it's Saturday, but you're getting ready for Father's Day, for this Father's Day weekend. It's called uh, The Way of the Father. Now, I will tell you, um, in the conversation that we're about to have, we pre-recorded this conversation, 
it was really encouraging and moving. I, I grew up in a home where we had a lot of issues, father and son. We had, uh, you know, I was raised for a single mom for a substantial season of that time. Later, would build a wonderful reconciled relationship with my own father. He's a great grandfather. But when you hear Michael W. Smith talk about the wonderful relationship he had with his father, which is really moving, there are times when... And you'll hear me ask the question where I say, but what about when you don't have that? And and his his words will be an encouragement to you as well. So I want to encourage you, um, you know, right now if you listen, this comes over the radio. I know some of you listen to the podcast, um, but as this comes over the radio, text someone. Tell them you want to listen to Ed Stetzer's interview with uh, Michael W. Smith because I think you'll be encouraged by it. And, uh, and really the theme of fatherhood keeps coming back. So stay with us. We're going to have this wonderful conversation. Uh, let's jump right in in our conversation with Michael W. Smith. Okay, so Michael W. Smith, you're you're kind of like the soundtrack of my life. I'm guessing you hear that all the time, but I, I literally called my wife earlier and said, I'm going to have Michael W. Smith, and, and I'm going to tell him that we sat on the floor of Church of the New Covenant Episcopal Church in Winter Springs, Florida in 1984 when I was going off for college. We were going to try to date distant, but if we didn't, we'd still be, well, you know what I'm going to say, friends or friends forever. I'm guessing like everybody has a Michael W. Smith song. You're, you've impacted so, so many of us. That must, and, then, and then I see you, is it with the Marine Band at the George H.W. Bush funeral? Was that with the Marine Band as well? I think it was, and it was pretty special for sure. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Your friendship with, uh, I didn't know about your friendship with President Bush until I, I read later uh, about it, but fascinating. But, but you, of course, you've lived a life, we've already done the introduction, but um, you know, <laughs> you're been the soundtrack for so many, from high school to concerts, family Christmases, worship services. I wonder, does, does your family, you know, five adult kids, 16 grandkids, I think, do they kind of recognize that your music means to so many other families? Do they know? I think they do. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm just dad around the house. I'm, a, I'm dad or G daddy, you know, uh, I don't really talk about, talk about it much. I mean, they all get excited going, Oh my gosh, dad, you're going to Italy to work with Andrea Bocelli. That's incredible. You know? So, but you know, it's, it's just kind of been the norm of kind of what they're used to and what their, you know, what their dad does for a living. And, and as the grandkids get older, they're starting to go, oh, yeah, gee, Daddy, he's a singer. He travels around the world. <laughs> you know, but again, I'm I'm just a husband and a dad and a gee, Daddy, and I, and I pretty much, I live a very normal life, but it's extraordinary as well. Yeah, and it's been fascinating. You know, at the beginning, we played a little bit of Friends are Friends Forever, and of course, Place in This World is one that has shaped a lot of people. And, you know, you've been, you've got a particular place in this world, you've been you know, written award-winning songs, performed award-winning songs, written 14 books. And, you know, we're coming here on Father's Day, and the newest one is The Way of the Father. Uh, why, why did you choose to write about fatherhood now? Well, I knew I would write a book about my dad one day because my dad was extraordinary. I mean, he was the, he was the kindest man I'd ever known who happened to be my dad. And... He was just amazing. I mean, I just, I saw very few faults. I know he had his faults. I know he had his shortcomings. I just didn't see very many of them. And, and just the way he just loved my mom and loved my sister and I, and he served the homeless and he's a deacon. And I mean, the list goes on and he, and he never kicked me out of the house. He never raised his voice. He never, I think the only time I ever saw him get mad was when my songs didn't go number one. He couldn't figure that out. You know, so he, he just was, <laughs> he was just for me my whole life. And, and 
honestly, he taught me a little bit of what God's like. And I thought, you know what? And then he passed in, in November, went across to the other side in November 15. And I knew, I knew one day, I thought, I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a book about my dad. And, and I did. And I guess a, not a better year to write than 2020. I had a lot of time on my hands, and, uh, but it was, it was good timing for me. And I think, you know, for Kayla Books and everybody that's involved, I mean, it came together so nicely. And I had so much fun telling just a portion of the extraordinary stories about my relationship with my dad. Yeah, I don't think we've said his name. His name is Paul Smith. You grew up there uh, in West Virginia. Give us more about, you mentioned your dad, but talk about growing up in that context, in your family in West Virginia and more. Yeah, small town, 5,000 people. Mom's a church secretary. My dad is an oil refinery uh, worker at Ashland Oil, which is just right across the river from uh, from West Virginia, Uh he came from that great generation that if you you were sick, you went to work. I mean, and he he worked hard and he was very very active as a dad. I mean, he my one you know I wanted to grow up. I wanted to play for the Cincinnati Reds. That was my big dream. I was a pretty good ball player because my dad was a great great ball player, and so he was my coach all growing up. And you know so. I was on the baseball field. I literally threw the ball with my dad every single day. Wow. And 15 years old, I did make the All-Stars and felt the call of God on my life to be in music. And now my dad becomes my PR agent. A little embarrassing at times, telling people how great I was all the time. I'm going, Dad, you don't have to do that. And, I, and you know, and all my songs can't, get, can't go number one. He said, why not? You're the best. You know, say things like that my whole life, you know. So... Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a small town. Football was a big thing there. Sports was, you know, but, uh, but I was very, very involved in my church. Yeah, I was, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, and probably more because my mom was church secretary and I would find my, find my way going there after school to the sanctuary to play that piano. And I did that literally for years until I packed my bags and got in a beat up Chevrolet and headed to Nashville. Wow. How did your dad feel about you uh, choosing music over baseball? That had to be a bit of a, a shock. Was he supportive? He was very supportive. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure maybe he was hurt a little bit, but if he was, I never really saw it. You know, he he knew that that I was losing my love for the game a little bit. But I think to for him to watch me sort of excel at music and – I had this gift to play by ear and I could, I was writing these songs and I was playing Beatles songs and there's no sheet music. And I think my mom and dad were going, you know, this kid might have some talent, you know? So I think they got excited about that of going, maybe this is what God's, maybe this is the plan that God has for our son. I think they kind of felt that way. So why would you not sort of support that? So he wasn't like a, I mean, I think he lived his dream of baseball. He he could have played Major League Baseball. I'm totally convinced. I hear people talk about my dad all the time. He came back from that farm team because he came back to take care of his mom because his, his, his wow. dad died of a heart attack when he was 16. So he gave up the dream of a lifetime and he came back and took care of my grandmother. And so mm-hmm. I think he lived that dream out just a little bit through me, and we had a blast. Absolutely wow. had a blast. We're talking about the way of the father, and the subtitle of the book is Lessons from My Dad, Truths About God. Uh, How does that connect? How does your dad and your understanding of God connect? 
Well, I mentioned earlier that my dad really he taught me what God's like in some ways. I mean, my dad was patient. He was kind. He was for me, you know, and I think God is all those things. And, you know, even at my worst, even the bad choices I made, my dad just loved me unconditionally. So I, I think the magic of the book is, that, yeah, you tell these really, they're really incredible stories. I mean, they're funny. And my dad's, I always say, my dad, the glass is always half full of my dad. He smiled and laughed every single day. But to, but to take those stories and equate that with the Father heart of God, you know, point it to a scripture or whatever, um, I think that's the beauty of the book because it's not the book's not only about my dad, but it's about Abba as well. Welcome back to Ed Stetzer Live. As you can tell, we've already been having a fascinating conversation. Just a reminder to you, this is a pre-recorded conversation so that our team at Moody Radio uh, can have the Father's Day weekend where they're not running the dials down in downtown Chicago. And also, we wanted to bring this to you, though, on Father's Day. It's kind of a special Father's Day edition of Ed Stetzer Live. And, of course, we're having this conversation with Michael W. Smith. And, yes, he and I, we're friends, and we're friends forever. Okay, I had to work that in. And I, I actually will do so more than I probably should have talked about it in the program as well. A little later, by the way, we're going to play a little more. We've made, we started with Friends or Friends Forever because we had to. And just in case you didn't know, we mentioned it in the program. Michael W. Smith became good friends with uh, George H.W. Bush, the dad, um, the first President Bush. And um, and actually, if you watched his funeral, I was, I, I was, and I was, I was literally in the room watching the funeral and Friends or Friends Forever starts playing. Friends or Friends Forever is like my high school. Uh, I went off to college. Donna didn't go to the same college. We're married now. But sitting in around the youth group singing Friends or Friends Forever, it was the soundtrack of my life, my place in the world. These are the soundtrack of my life. And I recognize that I am dating myself, uh, and that's okay. But uh, surely you've heard the song. And if you didn't, you might have heard it at the funeral of George H.W. Bush as well. So fascinating life lived well. Friends of presidents impacted many of us many times standing at a concert at Night of Joy at Disney World with Donna as a teenager, listening to Michael W. Smith and more. So in this next segment, uh, we're going to talk some about his impact of his mom and his dad. And, and you know, parenting, greatest challenge of my life still on this journey, got teenagers and one young adult, and uh, and really found these words of this journey super encouraging. Text a friend, let them know you're watching, listening, and you can follow along with the program as well. For me, reading the book, 
is, you know, I, I, again, because your music has been in many ways a soundtrack of my life, I also found your deep uh, relationship with your father foreign from me. I, I grew up with a, in a broken home, divorced family, uh, alcoholic father, who's, might I add, a great-grandfather now. And a few years ago, I told him he was a good dad. He said, no, I wasn't a good dad, not at that time. So, but he's a great-grandfather, and we're very close today. Um, so seeing kind of walking through this, I, I, I want to be that dad. And I should tell you, I have a daughter that's the most amazing musician ever going off the university of Toronto to study opera with her master's degree. So I'm sort of, I see the, in the book and I'm like, Oh, I want to be like Michael's dad, but I also didn't have a dad like that. So what would you say to, um, you know, fathers who are absent or didn't model love and kindness like your father did? What would you say to, to folks on that journey? Well, are you asking about their father? Or are you talking about them, them as a father? No. How would you? How would you? How would you kind of speak to them? Because they might read the book and say, "Well, I don't have a father like that." Um, how, how might I apply these truths? Well, I just know. I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt um, that God can father you. I mean, I've, I've I've just seen it happen. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a it's a different way of life. It's maybe a little harder, you know, because you didn't have a role model, you know, like my dad. Um, I, d- I have really close friends. Uh, matter of fact, one in particular, my my pastor Don Finto, who's mentored me for thirty eight years, one of the most godliest men I've ever met in my life, and he had a horrific childhood. And uh, I also point to my mom. My mom was eight. I talk about it in the book. My mom was eight years old with her three younger siblings, and my real grandmother, my mom's mom, said, "Get out of the car. You're walking home." She's just not a good person, you know. And and made the kids walk home. My my real grandmother drove off in that car, and she never ever came back. And you know what? And I think, and my mom's, I, I, you know, we talk, we we've talked about this a lot over the years. My mom forgave her, and. And I think that's why my mom is just – I could write a book about my mom as well. Yeah, sure. And I really could because she's just about as extraordinary as my dad. Um, so – but to watch her – and, I, and, I, and a matter of fact, I, I said this in another interview because I started thinking about it. I, I met my real grandmother one time, only one time, and I met her at the same time my mom saw her real mom for one time after she left, and it was at my Aunt Pat's funeral. Now, I was 20 years old. I – was not happy. I wanted to give her a piece of my mind, but I bit my tongue. But I watched my mom love on her mom. After after all that, that she did to my mom, my mom just loved her. And I'm thinking, whew, that's extraordinary. And that you, you're you not going to remain a victim and you extend forgiveness. And I'm telling you what, it is freeing. It brings great freedom. And so... I think there's a way out. I think there's a way to walk through whatever storm that you've been through regarding your childhood. And then once again, like I said earlier, God can mother you and he can father you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, the story of your dad in later lives. Uh, later life, he would uh, he would dance in the aisles to your music. Tell, tell a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I look out there, my dad, he's all these kids and and. He's out there. He's the oldest guy out there. He's just, he's literally, he's dancing in the aisle and he's singing every word to, to all my songs. I mean, <laughs> and you, you you had to wonder like all those kids out there going, who is that guy dancing in the aisle? You know, that's my dad, you know. So he was a, he was a huge fan and he sung my praises. And as I said earlier, it was a little overboard 
but you know he was proud he was just so proud and man it was a it was a it was a beautiful thing yeah i think it's a good thing when dads are overboard i was uh, with my daughter's senior recital and uh, when she was in fifth grade she won the talent show and i cheered inappropriately at the end it's on a recording so at the end of her senior recital just a few weeks ago i cheered inappropriately at the end when it was off the recording so it is i think dads just need to be all in yeah you got to be you got to be all in but you know i i guess it seems today michael there there's a lot of fatherhood itself has been devalued in a lot of contexts. It's like, well, you know, we, we don't need a dad. And and again, I was raised by a single mom. You know, I I know that, as you said, you know, God was was there and was a father presence in my life, but my mom was mom and dad for a season. Um, but why do you think it's so important that we focus on fatherhood? I mean, again, you wrote The Way of the Father. It's We're focusing on this around Father's Day, but this is something we need every day. Why is it so important? Well, it's God's way, you know, it's just, it's, it's his idea and what, it's a beautiful idea, you know, that we, we all need a mom and dad. I mean, and, and you kind of look at what's going on. I mean, it's always been important, but you know, it obviously kind of really comes to the forefront of discussions these days when you watch what's happening to our, to the world and, and devalued and I mean, the, the, people saying the crazy stuff and believing in the crazy things about you don't need a dad you know or it's just it's crazy i'm so so i think but but then you watch somebody who's had a good father you know you 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 watch them thrive you know and even the ones who didn't have one you watch them thrive if they really break through and and let god father them it's a game changer but um again it's god's idea you know and and uh yeah but for and for me fortunately it was a it, it was a beautiful a beautiful thing even when i was a wreck and to watch my dad you know correct me and he corrected me with such great sensitivity he didn't really know what to say you know um i went through that four years of being a prodigal and he didn't want to say anything that would push me away um i never forget going on the front porch and he just looked at me and said son you're gonna have to pull it together you know I didn't know what to, I said, Dad. I know, I know, and I'm, and you know what, and I'm, convi- I'm convinced I'm, I'm talking to you right now because of the prayers of my mom and dad, they, 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 they literally saved my life. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I'm interested too. You know, you mentioned that period of being a prodigal, and you talk about that there, and, and uh, I, I wonder what advice you would give to dads and moms. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those dads. I got three daughters, uh, two in their teenage years, one in their early twenties. And man, it's hard sometimes. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And kids make mistakes, and I want us to love them and stay in the relationship with them. What What are some maybe lessons you learned from your dad that maybe are applied to your your own family uh, about how to stay in in the relationship with them, even those in those times of prodigal? Yeah. Well, you have to love them well. Uh, they watch what you do more than what you say. Communication is key. If you blew it, then you need to confess that you blew it. You know, it's just, that's a good habit to be in it. Because sometimes you just want to correct them and you're, you know, you just kind of fly off the handle and, and that makes things worse, you know. And believe me, I didn't do everything right. I, hey, I've got three girls too. I got two boys and three girls. And, and believe me, some of that teenage years of them 
hiding in their room and not coming out. And I'm just going, man, what happened here? You know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was, and it broke my heart. And I kept thinking, well, gosh, what am I, what have I done wrong? You know, and I'm sure I made some mistakes, but I just think it was just, it was, I mean, it's warfare. Over the, you know, the, I just go back, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. You know what I'm saying? So he's going to come after your kids. And so all, all the best thing we could do, we just pray for our kids. We just pray for them. And, and, but, but I think the communication was key and, and to, let them see how you love their mom and let them see how you love your community. And, and then, and then when, if they don't talk, you just keep praying, God, I just pray for a breakthrough and just may your angels surround them and whatever they're doing in their room, just surround them. Let them know that you love them and they're not here by mistake. Reconnect with why they're here. Yeah. I, I loved how you talk some about, you know, that time and you have kept that relationship where your father kept in that love relationship uh, with you. I do wonder, what were you thinking in those few years of being a prodigal with your dad continuing to love and care for you? Did, did, uh, did Was that appreciated or did you later come to appreciate it? What, what about during the time and then compared to later? Oh, I, I, I mean, I appreciated it, but, but I, I think the hard thing for me was I knew that I was hurting my mom and dad. And I, yeah, the, their hearts were broken. Here's a kid. Here's their son who got saved at 10 years old, was a Jesus freak with a wooden cross around his neck when he was 13, carrying a leather Schofield Bible in the choir, just on fire, and then loses his way and is in big trouble. And my mom and dad know they can't save me. And so, you know, Gosh, I I look back on it now, and you have you have a great amount of appreciation for them hanging in there. They never got out of the ring. They stayed in there. They stayed on their knees praying for me every day. So, yeah. So it was the the the, the, the hard thing for me. I knew I was breaking their heart. And the thing and the thing that was the most difficult thing was I was in a pit and I couldn't get out. As much as I try, I could not find a way to get out. And then I almost died one night of a drug overdose, and that scared the you-know-what out of me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is not my destiny. There is a call of God on my life. And I've, that's when I began to pray, God, you got to do whatever you have to do. Car wreck, break my legs, just don't kill me. Get my attention. Get my attention. And he got my attention. I, got, I became depressed. I hit, I hit rock bottom in November of 1979 on my kitchen linoleum floor and convulsed and cried for three and a half hours and knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Abba was laying on the floor with his arm around me and said you're going to be okay and I haven't been the same since that day November 1979 Boy, we sure do live in complicated times. You know, as Christians, we have to ask questions about how to engage our culture, how to live faithfully in the moment we're in and stay focused on the mission we're on. How do we reach out to our families, friends, neighbors with the good news of the gospel? And well, you know, each week I'm going to tackle here on Ed Stetzer Live the issue of engaging our culture for Christ. So I want to invite you not just to listen in, but to call in and join with us in these important discussions. Ed Stetzer Live every Saturday right here on Moody Radio. Of 
Probably at some point you've sung that song in worship, uh, talking about his deep love for us, the Father's deep love for us. Thank God for his love for us. Welcome back to Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. Our guest is Michael W. Smith. We're having fun playing, like I'm playing disc jockey, playing a little uh, music before each of the segments and helping to set them up as well. So in this next segment, um, I, I, I will tell you, I took a little personal interest and delved into the question of pastors and church leaders. And I recognize not everyone is in that role, but all of you, I hope, are in churches and engaged in churches, maybe even regathering in your church, depending on where you are. And I hope part of that is, is that you recognize this has been a really hard year for pastors and church leaders. And and you'll learn something very interesting, uh, Michael Levy Smith, related to his own understanding and engagement of pastoral ministry. And I hope in the course of this conversation as well, it'll remind you to uh, pray for and encourage your pastor on that journey as well. Let's jump back into the interview. Again, it's pre-recorded, so we can't take your calls, but you'll be blessed. So just jump back in. I love how you keep going back to Abba, keep going back to Father, uh, that, you know, the term that kind of reflects that character of God. He's, he's our Abba. Um, one of the things I found interesting in the book, again, to remind everyone, uh, the, the book is The the Way of My Father, uh, The Way of the Father, um, and Lessons from My Dad, Truths About God, um, is you talked a lot about how your parents were engaging in ministry and mission even around you. In other words, it wasn't just they were raising you, but they're trying to be used by God in the world. Um, why was that important in your understanding later when you understood more about how God was using your parents, how they, how they served and cared for others? Well, they, just, they, just, they were just a beautiful, beautiful example of giving their lives away. I mean, they just, they just gave, gave, gave. They gave, gave, gave when they came to Nashville to be with us. I mean, my mom and dad are bigger celebrities than I am, I feel like, on some level. You know, just... You know, the the stories of people coming up to me going, oh, but, you know, they, I, I don't know if I mentioned the book. I think I do. I get stopped at a grocery store and, and you know, I'm being stalked and I'm thinking somebody wants an autograph. I finally let them catch up and they go, you're Michael W. Smith. I went, yeah, it's nice to meet you. And they go, oh, we love your mom and dad. And they sit there for, for 10 minutes talking about my mom and dad. And so they, they, they left this lasting impression on people in West Virginia and in Tennessee of, of literally – giving their lives away on a daily basis. And I'm thinking, I, that's my calling. I got, I, got, I got some big shoes to fill here, you know? And I think that's why they were so content. I think that's why they, were, they just figured out life going, this is what we're called to do. This is not about me. And they were just givers. Yeah. And it mm. was pretty and awesome. How, how did... Now you're, of course, you're a dad, and so you've experienced this wonderful dad, you know, experience with your dad, Paul. Uh, then you become a father, and of you know, and 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 walk through that journey. But how did your songwriting in, evolve as you became a father, and then even as a grandfather? Well, gosh, kids, <laughs> kids are are a beautiful thing, and they bring great joy and. They bring lots of life, especially when they're especially when they're little. I mean, it was just it's a fun, fun household. Them five kids running around everywhere, and I, it just it sparked all kinds of creativity in me. I've written songs about my kids, I mean, especially my girls. You know, 
Um, so lots of life. And then all of a sudden I can't get on the piano because one of my kids is on the piano. I mean, it's like there's somebody always playing the piano and it was, or somebody always had a camera in their hand. It was so much creativity in our house. And so I think that was inspiring to me, you know, and I probably wrote a bunch of songs because of that. And I probably can't even tell you what all they were, but, but it definitely, there was a lot of life in our house. And, uh, when there's lots of life, I think there's lots of creativity and there you, you start to dream big versus if you're in a very dysfunctional home on a consistent basis for years, it can suck the life out of you. Um, so that was not the case for me. It was, um, and then obviously my wife is just, is amazing. <laughs> that helps. That helps that we have wives that are amazing. And, you know, and, and, you know, both you and I fathers of your both fathers of three daughters, you also have a couple of sons as well. Uh, but that legacy is so central to what I saw in your book is, is a legacy of your parents, of your father. You know, and a lot of people are thinking about this kind of legacy in and around Father's Day. Um, and some people are experiencing disappointment. Their kids are not in relationship with them or they're struggling. What, what advice would you give to people to kind of have that kind of godly legacy as a godly father? A lot of dads will be listening. What, what advice would you give them to pass on a godly legacy? Yeah. Well, it's not too late. I think that's the first thing I'd say, you know. I think there's a lot of fathers out there who beat themselves up and going, you know, I didn't do it right. I, you know, I shouldn't, maybe they were, had a dysfunctional relationship with their kids and there was a separation for years. It's not too late. It's not too late to redeem that. And I would say that's would be my encouragement is, is you can, man, we all deserve a second chance. And I feel like I get one every single day. And that's the beauty of, of the father heart of God. We get, we get second chances, you know, and in, and he never tires of doing that for us. So it's not too late, you know, go, go, re, go redeem it, go love on your kids. And if you blew it, then just say, you know what? I blew it. I was wrong. Um, would you forgive me? You know? And so it's that kind of you start the dialogue, start the dialogue. Yeah. And on the other side of that, as one whose father, was not in a good relationship as a child, and now we're very close. That indeed is part of our part of our story. Um, one of the things that you know we 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 engage a lot of pastors and church leaders, and and pastors and church leaders are often wondering, asking the question, how do I encourage? Uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews says to provoke one another to love and good deeds. How do they provoke? How would you like to? I mean, you mentioned your relationship with your pastor. Um, how can pastors help? men be the kind of fathers that God has called them to be if they're fathers? Well, first and foremost, I think they've got to model it, you know. Um, they got to model it with their wives, you know. Um, they've got to model it in the way they treat people, you know. How do you do life with your community, you know? Um you know, so I think sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, and believe me, I pastored a church for two years. It is the hardest job in the entire world. I did not. How did I not know you did? You pastored a church for two years. I, I wasn't aware of this. So, okay. Well, I start. Deb and I started a church with two other couples called New New River Fellowship in 1999, and it's still going. Wow. 
And we, it's, it's a long story, but kind of felt like we lost our way a little bit. We were just trying to be plurality, and it's it's a, it's a crazy story. But I felt like I, you know what, I've got to cast some vision, and we got to we got to reel this thing back in. So from a, from from uh, 2006 to 2008, I sort of took over. Very unconventional. Not I had a great executive pastor who did a, a much of the legwork, but but just. Yeah, so that was, but so saying all that, I know it's, I know it's hard, but you gotta, there's gotta be a way that you, you can't be a rock star, you know, you gotta, you, and that's the beauty about Don. That's what I love about Fento. He's, because I think if you're gonna pastor, yeah, you gotta have, yeah, you gotta have some sort of personality. You gotta be able to really lead people and, and have this thing that people are gonna listen to you. You have something to say. But you you equate that. What goes hand in hand with that is humility. It's humility, 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 humility. I can't I can't say it enough. Humility. Yep. Yeah. He was he and he was that and just amazing. Um, but again, following up then, if as a pastor, I mean, having been a pastor, how did you? I mean, one of the challenges balancing family life in the midst of that. Were you able to strike that balance, or was that hard for you? As it's hard for many pastors and leaders. Well. Uh, I found a way to do it. I mean, because I just, uh, I was not, uh, I was not going to spend 60 hours at a church. I'm just not, not going to do it. I just didn't do it. You know, you, and again, it's, again, I, I'm not, believe me, I'm not the expert here. So I'm, I'm, so any pastors listening, I'm just telling you sort of what, what I believe and you can, you can believe it or not believe it. But I mean, You've got to implement. You got to. You got to. What's the word I'm looking for? You've got to designate, and you got to have people that that you got to have. A, you got to have a great team, and you don't have to be involved in every decision that's being made. You just you you just uh, you, you put people to work. You know, you, and and yeah, just build a great team, that, that's, and so you're not neglecting your family. place in this world too you've just heard a song that if you and again I, I think you can love jesus and not know who michael w smith is but if you've loved jesus for a few decades you know these songs as well and again in my case some ways the soundtrack of my life as i was trying to figure out at a younger age my place in this world as well um really encouraged by the conversation we're having we have one more segment with michael w smith and here he talks about uh, the his kind of the vision of fatherhood, and I love the part of God's plan for us and more. Let, let me just mention too, because I recognize that for some of you, uh, I struggled with this. I struggled with having a proper understanding with God as Father because I had a broken relationship with my earthly father, and as that you know now is very strong, um, that's super helpful to that. But as a new believer, um, when coming up in mostly non-Christian background, um, it, it was, it was when I kept hearing God as father, it was a foreign concept to me, what a father would be like as described in the scriptures. And one of the reasons I think you find this, you'll find this book helpful is because it does tie in a wonderful story of Michael's own father and mother 
and the impact they made on his life and more. And so for those of you like me who that's been a foreign experience to, but you've had to learn what God is like as a father, not necessarily from, from learned experience, and now I'm a father and an imperfect one and one who struggles and one who seeks to be who God calls him to be. But it's a reminder. I, I find conversations like this very helpful particularly for those of us who might have had a difficult father relationship as well. So I don't want you to be um, you know, pushed away because you didn't have a good father relationship. I want you to be drawn toward and say, this is what it's supposed to be look like. And this does reflect, as Michael talks about both in the interview and in the book, this does reflect the character, the heart of God. So thanks for listening. Again, we're not taking your calls because this is pre-recorded Father's Day weekend. Uh, I'm Ed Stetzer. You're listening to uh, Ed Stetzer Live. And as always, we're thankful to have you listen, but particularly this Father's Day weekend. Remember, if you're just listening, just catching this because someone texted you about it, make sure you download the podcast at edstetzerlive.com. Let's continue our conversation here with Michael W. Smith. So when in, in the book, um, you're laying out a beautiful vision of your own dad and fatherhood of God, the way of the father is the name of the book, of course, lessons from my dad, truths about God. So um, people will be listening and, and they'll be in a situation where maybe they're, maybe it's a wife whose husband is not stepping into that role or, or maybe it's, a, uh, you know, in those kinds of relationships where those are lacking. Uh, what can people do to encourage dads like in the church? What can wives do to encourage dads? What can people in church to encourage other dads? Not, not necessarily pastors or leaders, but just how do we encourage each other and value fatherhood? What are some paths for that? Yeah. Whew. Oh, um, golly, I think I would just probably just go to the book, go to the, you know, just go to the promises of God, you know, and yeah. just, just bathe people with the promises of God. Sometimes you just need a reminder. Sometimes you get so bogged down and you're, you're in a not so good relationship that, you know, it's just, uh, if you, if you dwell and kind of sort of stay in that place of desperation, it will weigh you down and you'll sink, you know? And so you've got to, you've got to have people speaking life over you. Um, and if you know somebody who's struggling, you got to speak, go speak life over them. You just got to speak life, speak life, speak life, speak life. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's much what I do every day. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in this new little app called dwell and I feel like sometimes I go, gosh, Lord, I'm just, I feel a little lost, you know, and I just throw on dwell and just let this, <laughs> I let this beautiful girl from, she sounds like she's from Ireland, you know, and she's just speaking these scriptures from the Psalms that are beautiful. And it's just the promises of God, what they are. And I go, whoa, I can, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, dwell for for people who don't know. Dwell is a scripture listening app, and uh, and I love I love the Irish accent too, as as a as an Irish person of Irish background. Um, one of the things that you know, I I actually yelled to my children when I was watching the funeral of President George H W Bush. And I said, you know, because they didn't, you know, I'm of the age that I remember his presidency. They, they would not. And I said, come here, come here, come here. Michael W. Smith singing the song that mom and I, anyway, and they, they all rolled their eyes and all this sort of stuff. What was it like to suddenly be thrust in? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, friends, it's, it's a globally known song, but surely millions upon hundreds of millions of people heard that song for the first time. Um, what was it like to be in that spotlight? Well, it's very surreal. Um, you know, it's not the first time I've been in a big spotlight, but obviously that was a big one because it was a funeral and it was a president, and and he was a great, great friend of mine. And 
I think what made it, um, uh, what made me not think about how big it was, I just reeled it in because President Bush loved friends. Matter of fact, that's the last that the, that's the last words he said to me. Uh, probably three months before he crossed over, I was with him at Kenny Bunkport, and uh, believe me, I sang for my supper a lot. I can tell you that, and that was that was one that was one song I always had to sing. But we were there to say goodbye to him, and Deb and I were getting ready to leave, and he and he grabbed my arm and he pointed his other finger up in the air. He said, "Friends are friends forever." That's the last. That's the last words he said to me. So it was hard to sing it a little bit. I didn't sing it very well. You know, I just, I got choked up at the end. I thought, I got to get through this. I can do this. And then I just, yeah, I just, um, you got the Marine band with you and it's, you're in this Washington Cathedral. It's like, oh my gosh, it's just, oof. yeah. It was, it was, it was amazing. And you were amazing. How did, I mean, so how did you and he become friends? We met at a Christmas television special in 1989 and, uh, ended up at the White House and, he ended up writing me these little notes, you know, like, hey, come and see me when you're in D.C. And I'm going like, yeah, like you don't have anything else to do. And I can't tell you how many times I found myself in the White House. And we we just became really good friends. And they loved Debbie. And we loved Mrs. Bush. So we, yeah, Kenny Buckport, Houston, went on, went to Greece with them six, seven, eight times. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So, but um just a God thing. I mean, I, we we got to sing a lot of songs. We talked about Jesus a lot, and it, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, and what a what a father figure there as well. I, I happen to know Jeb uh, Bush. I don't know George W. But but uh, you know, I mean, what a what a legacy that's ultimately there as well. Well, let me let me ask one more question. Um, you know, we're talking about dads. We're talking about legacy. We're talking about really the father heart of God. The, the book is The Way of the Father, and the subtitle is Lessons from My Dad, Truths About God. You know, you wrote about your dad, but you have been an influence in uh, my life and countless, I mean, millions upon millions of people. You know, we, I mean, you're literally the song of my dating from a distance. And, and by the way, that girlfriend and I that we sat around while someone played friends or friends uh, forever, um, we are we are now married 33 years. So we, we dated apart for a year. And I think the thing that got us through was the mixtape with friends or friends forever while we're apart a year in college. Anyway, you don't want to hear my life story. But, you know, that's not going to just be your legacy, though. That's certainly part of your legacy. What is it that you hope comes out of your music, this book, your life, for ultimately, you know, speaking to future generations to come. What what do you hope what would you want your legacy to be and why? Well, a couple things. Um I've always wanted my legacy to be, you know, I, he was a God-fearing man who loved his wife and kids well. Uh Amen. he survived success. Um and then I think probably really I would just go that through the music and through the books and through whatever words I've spoken that people would, the light bulb would go off and they'd reconnect with why they're here. Oh oh my gosh, this thing really is true that I would usher in revelation for people of going, man, he really does love me. And not only does he love me, he actually really likes me. And not only does he like me, he's extremely fond of me. And when you get that, when you get that piece, it changes everything. 
Yeah, powerful. And uh, thank you again for writing The Way of the Father. Thank you for your impact on so many of us. And, you know, in a time when a lot of Christian leaders has have not finished well, thank you for continuing to walk towards and eventually across that finish line having finished well. Thanks for taking the time with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good to talk to you. What a great conversation, and I'd like to thank my guest, Michael W. Smith, uh, and really our whole team. Uh, you know, my producer, Karen Hendren, engineer, Courtney Young. Claire Seagard normally works the phones. We didn't take calls today because we're pre-recorded, of course. Andy Cook helps us at Wheaton with our studio there as well. And the whole team at Moody Radio, we're deeply thankful for. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be with uh, Bree Strindred, Web Women of Welcome. She's going to talk with me about the work she and other women are doing uh, to show the love of God to people who have come to the border. Important issue. Hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com. And this is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.